0: Hey folks, welcome to The Wrench Turners Podcast, the show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I'm your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder and CEO of The Wrench Turners Online. On today's show, part two with Craig Tomzik, an L1L2 fleet tech with 15 years of experience, we talk about his 15 years in the trade, how quickly time passes in the shop, how to get more young folks in the trade, getting pulled over, and more if you haven't listened to part one go back and do that first for the best context for today. day so let's get into it also so we've got th- we've got through you know where you've come up in the last 15 years what you're doing now some of the difficulties we've got some good warranty banter in there um we've got why you're doing what you're doing now and that it was a, a fleeting edge <laughs> fleet uh, fleeting edge uh, that you are still in this, um, in still in the trade. One of the things that I, uh, again back to this, what would you say that you've either learned or you just seemingly do every day that makes you happy to be a mechanic, or that you do specifically because it makes you happy to be make, be, be a mechanic.
1: Mm. Mm, that's a tough question um i think probably the most i think, i would say probably one of the better things about it is the day goes by so quick um you know when i clock in first thing in the morning before i know it's the end of the day um i'm sure we've all had at least one of those jobs where we're watch the clock all day and just it just can't finish fast enough mm-hmm. uh, that's something I, that's something i do i do really enjoy i, I try to work at a very fast pace as much as like, it's, some, it's somewhat out of the need too, because there's there's always so much work to do. Um, but I, I it, it kind of goes, I remember seeing once uh, one of those motiva- motivational posters and it kind of went and showed like, you know, here's, a, here's your average life of 80 years and you're gonna spend uh, 60 to 65 of them working. Make sure you, you're doing something that you can at least tolerate. So I guess that's a big thing for me. So, because I think but that's very true. Are you,
0: so are you are you in a position where the day goes fast, which makes you happy? Because then you get to go home, go home to your family, get to do whatever you want to do. Or are you happy because you've got something that you tolerate, or something that you really enjoy?
1: Oh no, I enjoy it to a point. Um, you know, it's, I, I kind of like you know working on and select a few things. Um, you know, we like especially what I do, I work on a little bit of everything, but what I what we do work on I, I feel like I know pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not uncommon for me to see a, a repair order come in and I can literally spend five minutes with the vehicle, whether it's a, a car or it's a heavy truck. I know what's wrong with it already. It might just me be, be going out there opening the hood and look at something and I've got the part numbers written down in my book and I get what I need and I fix it. So I guess, I guess a little bit of it's, it's, there's enjoyment in just trying to master everything you can, um, I, I, if that makes any kind of sense,
0: it does, that's the way I see it. It's the challenge. And you know, there's in the dealership world, there's, it's constantly evolving. So every six to nine, 12 months, there's new product of some description, even, even if it's a a year over year roof, like almost no changes or a or a three-year refresh, there's subtle differences between them that you either need to learn or you need to change your approach. Or, you know, maybe there's an extra part to take off. Or you know, maybe the bearing style is a little different. Or, you know, maybe the clutch material isn't quite the same in the transmission. Or, you know, a repair that you used to do over and over and over again. Now there's a now there's a workaround where you know, maybe uh, drill out the valve body and put an extra ball in or, or some or something very, very creative in there that you get to learn. In Fleet, it's gonna be slightly less changing, I would imagine, because you're gonna see the same car probably for ten or fifteen years. Mm. Even the same style of car for the same for ten or fifteen years with little to no changes. Where you're adapting is it's like, okay, I was doing this in two hours. Maybe I can do it in 1.9 and figuring out a way to do that because that's setting your own benchmark. So for you to measure your own success, you're measuring it against yourself, right? And that's, that's a really big advantage is if, if you can get to a point where you're happy measuring your success against yourself, that's a really happy place to be. I think for me personally, that, that that would be an amazing place if we can get a lot of folks out there that are turning wrenches every day. If we can get them to understand that you're not turning a wrench against the guy or trying to beat the guy next to you or the guy across from you or the fact that you know Bob down the end of the shop gets all the transmissions and makes 70 hours of paycheck because he does all the transmissions and you don't get to do any or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But maybe the transmission that you did three months ago Maybe you get another one in today and it took you eight hours. Then what if you did it in seven today? Yeah. Oh, well, Bob's gonna get, just going to get him anyway. It's like, what if you do it in seven <laughs> hours and the service manager goes, Hey, you just beat your last time. Do you, do you want to do more transmissions? It's like, yeah, I love them. Give me more, mm-hmm. but if you don't show the aptitude or the more specifically the confidence and ambition to do that, to measure your own, measure your success based on your own success. That's, you're not going to do much. You're just going to be doing the same boring stuff over and over again. And that becomes even more of a challenge because I'm not getting paid more. I'm not making any more money. I'm doing something I don't really like, enjoy doing. I'm not challenged. And to know that there is better for yourself by improving yourself is another big hurdle which sounds like you've already done. You found something that you enjoy doing. You challenge yourself every day, which makes you happy. And you get to go home at the end of the day and get to do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's that's That that sounds pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And, I, and kind of what you just said there, um, that's something I, I think shops need to really embrace as well is everybody's got a niche with something. There's always something that somebody's better with than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of one of my coworkers I work with. Um, he can he can take apart a, a seat and the cushions and the covers and, and put them back together faster and better than anyone I know. It, me, I, I can't stand that kind of stuff. I'll sit there and I guess maybe because I'm too OCD with it, but um, but I just I can never get it the way I want it. Um, and if someone enjoys that kind of thing, you know, why would you not give them that work as much as you can? Because it makes them happy. To get the the job gets done faster to upholstery so
0: upholstery techs are so rare. They're yeah. so rare because everybody's like, Oh, I want to do engines or, Oh, I'm really good at driveline and, and, and more specifically diffs, or I'm really good at transmissions and diagnosing transmissions and things like that, but people who can do upholstery work, like it requires, it does. I don't think it actually requires more intellectual knowledge. I think upholstery requires a certain finesse that the rest of the car doesn't require. Like you need yeah. finesse to do you need finesse to do engines. You need to know you need to f- be able to feel torque. Like when you're doing engines and you're you're being very careful with it, doing it properly and precisely, you have to have a certain feel to it. But you have to have even more of a feel and be clean when mm-hmm. you're doing upholstery work. Because all it takes is one schmear on a brand new white leather seat and you're doing it all over again with mm-hmm. a new seat. So that, that in itself, finding your, your niche in, in this business could be your next step. Um, but it requires leadership to understand that you want to find that. Mm-hmm. Um, now as a technician, I've seen lots of folks say, you know, I really like, I, you know, I want to get, I want to get better at this, or I want to go do this course. or I want to go do this course. I know there's a lot of folks out there that that don't. Yeah. They just Don't I gotta, I, oh, I gotta get my level one. Y- yeah. Now you need to get your level two in order to get, to do warranty work of any kind. You can get all of your level ones, all of your level twos in a dealership so that you can do warranty work. Uh, really? Can't I just fix a car? Mm. If you take two hours to fix something that would take you 0.3 because you did the training, yes. Yes, you need to do the training because that might save you an hour and a half. And what it means is that our customer gets the car faster. We do more cars because you're now working on two or three other cars in that time frame as opposed to one. It helps everybody. Training is good for everybody. Oh. Okay. Why, why do I, why you want me to do level three now? Well, you got all your level tools done. Do I need to do it for warranty? No, not necessarily. Not if you don't want to do the warranty work on them. It's like, no, I'll just, I'll just stay here at level two. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've had as, as, as a tech, I've seen it happen on the floor. As, as a person who's been behind the desk, I've had texts like, why do I need to do the training? You're going to pay me for it. Well, yeah, I'll pay you your time for it. It's like, it's, it's like, how much you pay for me for pay me for it? It's like, well, it's an eight hour course. Oh, you can pay me eight hours. Yeah. You gotta pass it. What happens if I don't pass it? Like, I'm, that's the goal. It's like the car. If you don't fix the car, you don't get paid. Like if you, if it comes back, you're not going to get paid. Like, oh, I don't really want to do it then. So there's, there's an aspect of this that the mentality We really need, I think as an industry, we need to understand that we need to lift, rising tide lifts all shifts, including the ones that are nearly sinking. And we need to understand that we need to get those people who are sinking, we need to bail them out because they need to understand that the whole industry needs to come up. And even if it's just 1% across the board and then 1% across the board, I think we can do that. And as a whole, we need to do that, I think, because we don't have apprentices coming in. We don't have young people coming into the industry in the droves that we used to, which is showing because we've got all kinds of folks, you got boomers and you got Gen X retiring or retired at a rate faster than we can fill it on the other end. The need is still there. And in, in fact, it's more so than it's ever been. And like you said yourself in 2007, 2008, especially 2008, there wasn't the incentive back then. And it kind of slowly waned. So we need to get pe- young people in. If we can't get young people in because they see this mentality of us coming home from work and you know, I'm a dad at 38, I got an eight year old. In seven years, eight years, my son's gonna be 16. He should be capable of going into the trades. Well, that means eight years from now, I wanna have the industry in a place where I would be happy to have my son come in. Happy to have won- him, right?
1: Yeah, you wanna leave it better than when you got there. Exactly, which don't. Which, which we as an industry have not done a good job with. Um, you know, we we haven't incentivized um, progress and in education um, and comprehension and training of, of new technologies. And, and let's face it, it's it's one of the cold hard facts of this industry is the, um, things that make money are tires, break jobs, um, actual repairs with labor on it. Um, and that's and that's we, why we have some of these issues with diagnosing these these days because no one's no one's incentivized to do those things. And why would you want to be, if you're going to make less money, doing that? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's just basic economics.
0: Yeah, if you want to make money, you got to do the stuff that's boring. And yeah. when you do the stuff that's boring, you don't really want to do it anymore. Yeah. And if you don't really want to do it anymore, you leave the trade. Yeah. So. It's kind of a self fulfilling uh, self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Yeah. So we as an industry, and I think it, it and that's why I, as a tech, speaking to techs like yourself, it's like we need to change the industry. We need to lift the industry so that we can get more folks in it. And I think the opportunity for people to understand that, like yourself, you figured out a way that makes you happy. You are happy in this industry fundamentally, purely, and simply. And it's through your ability to measure your success based on your own success. You are, you have found something that makes you happy. It challenges you every day. You get paid well for what you're doing. Could you get paid better? Of course, always very few are ever paid as, as paid their value, but you're paid. You've got a measure of happiness every day and you're turning a wrench. And I think getting young people to understand that that's a thing is a, a most resounding thing that we can do from the, from the top of every mountain and we could possibly can. Yeah.
1: Ask and, away, ask away. Yeah, well, I was going to add on to that. I mean, if, this is kind of an opinion of my own, but I, I think for the longest time, this trade um, thrived on getting people in it because they like performance, you know? Mm-hmm. I like I like cars as a kid. Um, I liked the tuner culture of the 2000s. You know what I mean? Um, those are all kind of little things that made me think, okay, maybe this makes sense for me because I was not a good student at school. Um, so, a lot of these, I think, a lot of these kids coming into this trade, they don't, they don't care about that kind of stuff anymore. It's just, it's just the, it's the generation. They just don't. I mean, even even the young kids that I know of that are working in it, they're just, they kind of, they're not. I want, I don't want to say they're in it just. For the heck of it, but I guess maybe some of them thought it would be easier than it is, and maybe they. Well, it's heard.
0: definitely not. It's definitely not easy anymore, and it's definitely not easy no. from from a tuner coaster standpoint. In in 1999, and 2000, you put an intake, you went exhaust on the car front to back, you you lower it, you put some wheels on it, and as long as you weren't stupid, everybody leave you alone. Now, driving out of my driveway. The, the rear springs on my on my 23-year-old BMW are completely smushed, so the back end looks like it's slammed. And of course, it's an old BMW, and it's stick, so they know that it's stick, and you can see them. I've been pulled over twice because they think my car is too low. And it's only because the rear, the front springs are almost completely sagged, but the rear springs are like I hit bump stops on a regular basis. It's just because I'm'm I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with stuff to fix at home that the coilovers that I have in the garage to put on to make it low I haven't been installed yet so I've been pulled over twice because my car is too low but it's simply because the springs are sagged and I'm in a car that's a tuner car because it's an old BMW mm-hmm. so the concept is kids going back to when I was 16 17 18 modifying stuff I got away with all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. I got left alone. Now, like the car is stock. Completely stock. And I get pulled over because they think it's <laughs> it's modified. So that that in itself, like there's a lot of really quite possibly ignorant people out there that has ruined it. And that's where we're at with the industry as a whole. We get a lot of we got a bunch of people who are ignorant and quite possibly rude and not the most intelligent of folks that have ruined it for many and I think one of the big things is there is is greedy and that's something to be said in there as well. but mm-hmm. adding adding insult to injury, you've got a flat rate system that isn't necessarily working properly for everybody and in fact it's probably not working for the majority of the majority of us. You've got a straight time system that does also doesn't really work for the dealership world either. I don't think it works for a lot of places because they don't know how to manage it properly. They don't know how to effectively hold people accountable in a positive way to say, you know, we're paying you straight time, but we still need to manage your expectations of production to work. Like you still need to produce the same kind of work as you were when you were flat rate, but we're gonna pay you a poor, uh, uh, a percentage of that flat rate that you maybe expect. So. Let's put an example. Say you say you were averaging 90 hours every 2 weeks. Well, we're going to pay you what is effectively 85 hours every 2 weeks without you having to worry about the straight the flat rate portion of it. But you're going to get a straight time salary based on that amount. We still expect you to produce the 90 hours and we're going to hold you accountable to it but, or whatever the case may be, but just different ways to slice the the, skin, the cat as it were, and being able to manage those expectations effectively and positively, those are are things that leaders need to learn. And I think we as mechanics need to learn how to manage the criticisms, just because we we were slow on a car and someone says, you were slow on a car. It's not personal. Maybe you need to learn something. Maybe you're having a bad day. It doesn't matter but having effective communication, and this goes back to the work order. The difference between who who thinks this is a detailed work order, and who thinks this is a not detailed work order. Those opinions vary, but do they? You yourself said that, I think, the, did you put a test light to it? Or did you actually put a load on the system on that that wiring set? Did you put a load on it to see if the wiring was good? Not just if there was power ground there, because there may be one strand of wire that's carrying all 12 volts. But as soon as you load it, not there, same thing. How detailed do we need to be? I think fundamentally what we're doing in detail right now is not effective enough. We need to be more professional. We need to be lifting the entire industry. Well, uh, Craig, do you have any questions? Do you have anything you want to say shout out to anybody Floor's yours
1: i do um i my i have a a friend of mine who i met on facebook years ago one of the, you know one of the automotive groups and mm-hmm. slowly but surely and i say this because i hope someone thinks about it slowly but surely he's been kind of venturing away from it he you know he worked for every you know other people for years and he opened his own his own shop and most of what he does now, when he does repair vehicles, is he does heavy truck uh, road calls. There's big money in it, you know. He, but you know, what, what that comes with is you know two, three a.m. wake up calls, going out in the in the middle of the night and freezing cold, um, and you know the hot weather, working in really dangerous situations. He likes the money he makes with it. But slowly he's kind of been getting away from that too. He's kind of, he kind of has taken the money he's made off that and invested in other, other ventures. Um, and he said something recently and it sticks with me really well. Um, and I hope someone else thinks about it as well. But uh, he did uh, a job recently where he laid gravel down on a, on a dirt driveway. It was just something somebody wanted done. Um So he went and he did it and he, you know, he picked his equipment out and he lays this gravel down. He makes like $2,000 on it um you know for like eight hours worth of work and he said and he says to me and, and like I said again I'm sorry for emphasizing on so much because it, he says to me I'm not gonna get a call in two months because I did this and there's a defective part and I have to do the thing again for free under warranty he's like why would so why do we put up with this kind of stress that we're that we're dealing with in this industry right now and it's true to a point um you know it's there's there's a lot of there's a lot of easy money to be made in the world. And then I see, I get careful, like way I word that, but there's, you know, well, like we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of easier things to do for more money and less stress. And I think that's what, I think that's utmost what needs to change about this industry the most. Managing expectations
0: that, so you're, you're talking about a gentleman who's been in this industry long enough he started he goes like questioning why he's working for somebody else started to do his own thing and then he was doing his own thing and he was doing really well at it making very good money at it but there's still trials and tribulations to, to go through even working for himself making really good money doesn't matter what it is whether he was he, whatever the case may be he was making really good money and he was happy doing it to a point and then he got to a point that he came across that something wasn't quite right. So he started doing some other things and he's and he's still doing heavy truck work, it sounds like, but he's still doing some more stuff on the side.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think one of the key takeaways from that is he wasn't happy. And it sounds yeah, like absolutely. he's still, it, sound, it sounds like it doesn't matter what he's doing, he's not really 100% happy with what he's doing. And he's trying to find what he's happy doing is it and it sounds like he's not just driven and he's not just driven by money but he's driven by happiness and he keeps trying to find something that makes him happy and i think if we can try and educate those that are in this trade that you can be happy in this trade and there are other outlets within this trade to be happy like if you're in a dealership in a fort let's say you're in a Ford store. And you're doing nothing but Ford Fiestas all day long, every day, because you happen to be in a, in a portion of the city where it's all commuters. So it's lots and lots of Ford's Fiestas, like nine yeah. out of ten cars a day you're working on as Fiestas. You could go work in another Ford store if you were, like, working on Fords, if you want to work on the diver- the whole line of Fords. Or if you want to work on larger trucks, Ford has an entire branch of, like, the F450, F550, and so forth, there are dealerships even here in Canada. There's a dealership downtown Toronto that does nothing but large Chevys and large Fords. They don't work on anything else, whether like yeah. the cab chassis, but they're the freaking huge trucks yeah. that Ford and Chevy make. But they're still they're not the the heavy truck coach bits. They're just the really big trucks for Ford and Chevy. There mm-hmm. are though those avenues. If you want to work on nothing but transmissions, because transmissions make you happy, ask. I'm sure that the, 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 service manager is like, oh, you want to do transmissions. You want to do a lot of transmissions. Awesome. You could be the transmission guy. I'm going to send you to all the training. I'm going to make sure you have all the tools. One could only hope that that's all the case, but if yeah. you express interest because something makes you happy, if you don't ask or you don't tell somebody, and that's the big thing, this gentleman that you're talking about, he's done it for himself. All right. He's found things that have made him happy. There are, I think there's a lot of guys out there, a lot of girls out there in this industry who don't realize that they can ask. If they ask genuinely and professionally and politely, not what the fuck are you going to do for me now? But hey, I really like working on engines. Do you think you think I could do the engine training? Or do you think I can go get my ASE in engines? Or do you think I can do some engine training down in Missouri? Or do you think I can work on all the engines that come in the door? Because they make me happy. I don't think right now, if you talk to any leader of any service business across the country of the United States, Canada, Mexico, Australia, across the board, if you go to a service manager and say, Hey, I want to do all of these. Can you get me the training so that I can do all of these really well and make you lots of money? I don't think any one of them is going to turn you down, especially right now, if that's what makes you happy, but you have to ask. That's our, I think that's our responsibility as mechanics to make sure that every one of us knows that if something makes you happy doing what you do, ask to do more. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that yeah, and, that's an awesome story.
1: And I guess, uh, and I see. I think uh, I can remember things being pretty easy like that a while back. I think what happens with like the past few years, I think a lot of us have gotten away with that. It's like, a, it's a rat race every day. To stay as caught up as possible. So I think that's probably a little bit to do with it too. You know, on our end and management end, it's easy to forget. I mean, it's easy, it's easy to just start looking over those things because we all got so much on our plate in this industry. We're all slammed. Anyone who's, who's any decent in this industry, whether it be a, just a technician or a shop, um, they're booked at least a week out
0: and I I think it doesn't even require I I think you can remove the decent part of it I think there's shops everywhere that are so overwhelmed because they're short on staff Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: we're because technicians as a whole we're leaving you could just look at the number of folks that are no longer that are no longer in this industry that that have left or you look at the the statistics of folks registering like in Canada because the way our, our apprenticeship program works they know the number of of people that need to register that they, they know how many people need to register in order to fulfill the need of, of open jobs and in Canada, and this is, uh, um, I'm going to get the number wrong because, uh, it's going back a little bit since I read the article, but it's something like there's 21,000 registrations required in Canada for mechanics per year, give or take that's how many are required. And I think uh, the last reported year that I remember looking at is like 2019, I think 10% registered.
1: That's incredible. I'm I'm not familiar with that. That's, that's new to me. I didn't know Canada was.
0: We are in Canada in order to be a technician in Canada, call yourself a technician in Canada. You actually have to be a licensed technician in Canada. Mm -hmm. We have a certificate, we have a certificate program where you get signed as an apprentice you work a period of time i think it's uh 8000 hours you have to work in a registered shop so the shop has to be registered you have to be mm-hmm. registered as an apprentice uh there are a couple of different ways that you can do the schooling but there's a require a school requirement that you have to fulfill and pass time requirement you have to fulfill there is a booklet that you have to fill out with the shop that shop or shops that you have been working at, and that needs to be filled out by an authority of the shop, whether it's a foreman, a, techn- a licensed technician, or the service manager, to say yes, you have completed these tasks. And I think there's roughly 300 tasks that you have to fill out. They range from being able to change a light bulb to overhauling an engine, and it has to be <clears throat> signed up and it has to be signed off on. And once you complete those, your hours, the book, and the school all successfully, you then write an exam. Uh, we call it we shorten it to cfq but it's certificate of qualification and we have these for just about every trade in canada but as a mechanic especially an automotive mechanic your ast automotive service technician in order to get your license you have to pass that exam with 70 percent if you pass it with 90 you're a red seal technician like i am which means that i can be a practicing technician across canada not just ontario so Going back to that previous statement, twenty-one thousand is the number of registrations they require to fulfill the need for technicians in Canada. Ten percent in 2019 registered.
1: Mm. I wonder what, and that's 2019. Yeah. Mm.
0: So that 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 is, you know, ninety percent less than the need is what is registered, and that doesn't quantify the number of people who passed, because the number gets even more awful when you look at the number of people who complete Mm -hmm. the qualification because you get people who register and then never get their cfq Mm -hmm. which is even less so there's lots of bobs larry's and joe's out there that have started who call themselves a mechanic who registered but they're now turning a wrench in their backyard without a license without insurance without safety without any of those things they're calling themselves a mechanic and maybe they're working at a grocery store full-time or maybe they're they're working at at McDonald's full time because they, they don't like flat rate or they don't like the environment they're in. They don't like being screamed at by their bay mate saying, hey, what the fuck are you doing? It it, it, it it There's a whole lot of things out there, reasons why people leave. But in 1955 and 1960, there there wasn't that many people saying, no, I don't want to be a mechanic because most of them had to go through shop class. They had to learn how to change oil they had to learn how to change a tire they had, to, they had to learn all those basic bits in high school us and canada and that phased out a while back because i know there's a high school locally that still has a, a um they're one of the few that still has an auto shop of some description but it's mostly body work in there now not mechanic work so There's, there's some, there's some difficulties in there and we've got a lot of things to change. One of the big things is perception, sorry, is perspective. Um, when the public looks at us as greasy, grimy, greedy people who don't have any education, who just cuss a lot and don't do much and charge them a lot of money, we need to change that profession. Sorry, we need to change that perception with our professionalism. Um... Now there's, is there always gonna be an aspect of, of cussing in the shop? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think that's ever gonna change. We are who we are, but it doesn't mean that we can't communicate more effectively. That, can't, that doesn't mean that we can't be more empathetic to those around us. That doesn't mean that we can't be more respectful and, and inclusive of everybody that comes through the door, customer or coworker uh, alike. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't learn to communicate more effectively. And more proactively, uh, and all of the different ways that we can learn to be better as an industry, as more specifically as a trade, I think we need to do.
1: Now, what do you think it's, it's going to take for a lot of that to, to set forward? Because in as we because we still talk about technician shortage, we're not really seeing a whole lot being done about it. And, and it's, I,
0: everybody's got an, everybody, everybody's got an idea for it, right?
1: Yeah. But it's in my opinion. This is what I tell people: is until we have every car, every auto shop, truck repair shop, you know, whatever it is, has pieces of equipment, vehicles, whatever laying out on the street, people are complaining about it. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot happening. That's just my opinion.
0: I think, and I think fundamentally, and I made a comment about this a couple of weeks back, a couple of months back actually a couple of years back. If you go into real details, I don't think, and like I just brought up the statistic, 10% of registrations, we don't have a technician problem. We have an apprentice problem. Uh, we have to start at the source. The only, the only way that we're gonna get more people in this industry, you're not gonna convert people that are our age. You're not gonna convert, convert 30 plus. You're not gonna tell a 30, you're not gonna tell a 45 year old say, hey, you wanna come make some money? You wanna start as an apprentice at 45 at $18 an hour? No one. No one is going to say yes to that. They're not even going to say yes at $35 an hour. You tell a 45 year old that, Hey, come work your balls off, bleed, sweat, work in some of the worst environments possible. And we'll start you at $35 an hour. They're still going to say no. So -hmm. there is, I don't think there's any amount of money that you're going to convert and get technicians back in the trade where you need to start. is literally at the start. You need to start uh-huh. in schools, you need to get back into schools or if nothing else, you need to be in the schools preaching from the highest mountain that this is a worthwhile trade to be in. And then, then you need to back that up with good processes, good culture, good pay, good training, good and be upwardly mobile. There's no reason why you can't start as an apprentice, get your license, specialize. And by the time you're 30. so high school to 30, there's no reason why you can't be making $100,000 a year salary at 30 years old as a technician. No reason. Today, there's no reason. But there's lots out there that aren't. They've been in this industry for 10 plus years, licensed, qualified, ASC certified that aren't making hundred grand. That's stupid. And the world can see that. The world can see that. So the last thing that a parent is going to tell their 15-year-old that says i really want to be a mechanic they're going to say are you crazy it's not a good job you're gonna sweat you're gonna bleed you're gonna cry you're gonna it's not a great work environment you're gonna get dirty you're gonna grease everywhere and you're not going to make 100 grand by your by the time you're 30 go to university
1: yeah that's that's where it all started we, Bingo. We had, I'm, I'm sure there was you know especially the baby boomers as they were getting at least halfway through their careers and started having kids them, don't get in this trade it's not worth it go to college Get a get a desk job. know? Yeah. Get paid yeah. to rip people off.
0: <laughs> the the fundamental and there's lots of mechanics out there that will argue that a mechanic starts making money day one. You're right.
1: Mm-hmm. The the
0: college graduate or the university graduate's gonna come out after four years with, you know, sixty to one hundred thousand dollars in debt. Well, guess right. what? So's the technician. They're gonna have fifty to hundred thousand dollars worth of tools by the time they're five years in the trade. Boxes, tools, diagnostic, especially if they're an independent. Especially if they're in an independent shop, not so much if they're mm-hmm. in a dealer because specialized equipment in the shop, special service right. tools supplied, supplied, by the manufacturer and by the shop, it is what it is. But if you're going to be a tech for a long time, you're going to have a hundred thousand dollars tools by the time you're 10 years in the trade. So mm-hmm. what is the difference by the time yeah. somebody's got a university degree and they're 30, they should be able to, in theory, make a hundred thousand dollars a year if they're ambitious, at least. If you're ambitious and a tech in this industry by the time you're 30, and you're not making 100 grand a year, that, and we have to continuously get education, we have to continuously buy more tools, we are continuously subjected to some of the worst environments possible, we should be making 100 grand a year. So we need to make that happen. It doesn't necessarily need to be 100 grand, it can be 80 grand, it can be 70 grand, but a guaranteed path of success. That we need to make sure that the industry actually is so that parents can tell their children that it's a good profession to be in. So that when they're fifteen and they want to be a mechanic instead of go to university at sixteen, they come to us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That has to
0: start that has to start yesterday. And that's what yeah. we can do. I think trying to trying to preach to trying to get technicians back into the trade or converting people from what they're doing every day to a technician, I think is is it's a viable option, but it's not the best option. It shouldn't be no. a priority.
1: Yeah, it's, it's especially, you know, it's, well, it depends on what they're doing, but it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. It might be 10 times easier. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, what's it gonna be worth going back to being a technician for five bucks more an hour and then take on all that, it's not worth it at the end You of the can't
0: afford tools at five bucks an hour extra. Yeah. So like, anyway, okay, well, I think that's uh, I think that's a wrap. And that very sharply is the end of today's sh- episode with Craig. Catch the Wrench Turners podcast next Wednesday when we talk with Kathleen Long, Chief Revenue Officer at RepairPal, a company focused on helping families find auto repair shops they can trust. We get into how she accidentally got into the automotive industry, how they support more than 3,200 repair shops, and more. A little bit of paperwork before we sign off. The Rancher's Wellness Survey is now in pre-order for 2023. It's an easy way for automotive service managers to get intimate shop insight in just 12 minutes. Insights such as shop environment, morale, trust, and staff communication. It's not a bad idea. Reach out to Joshua on LinkedIn or email me at joshua at justworkhard.com. Shout out today to our sponsor for the episode, Fixed Stops Marketing. Create and distribute as many videos as you want as often as you want for one low price with prestige reach out to folks at fixedopsmarketing.com to schedule your demo today lastly i want to leave you with a tidbit until next week we mature with the damage not the years thank you very much for listening hope to hear you back here next week and remember always clean your toys before you put them away